acoustics. So uh, there's a PowerPoint. Yeah. So that is great. So follow along there or on your phone Bibles or real Bibles. Uh, after this teaching, there's going to be people coming in onto that side to watch the Brown Steelers game. So that's why I want to start a little bit early. So we're going to end up joining them after the teaching to kind of hang out and watch, if you want. Otherwise, we'll be on this side and just kind of talk and hang out. Announcements. I don't think there's anything else, is there? LTC is next Wednesday. It's not, it's not Love Ethics. It is not Love Ethics? It's LTC 3. Great. For those of you who don't know what it is, hey. Okay. And are you going to Oktoberfest this weekend? Yep, Oktoberfest or Greekfest? I mean, both are happening this weekend. Oh, Oktoberfest is the planned thing. Yes. Greekfest is also a thing. Yeah. Great. Next week, they go to my house. Oh, great job, Craig. Uh, so the next couple weeks, the study center is kind of booked. So we can't meet here the next couple weeks. So next week, at least, we're going to be at the Smith's house. That's in Stowe. We're going to post uh, address and details later on, but that's going to be next week. It might be the following week as well. We'll see, but we have to meet somewhere else for that week as well. Uh, so just so you know, the next two weeks will not be here. Next week will be at the Smiths and probably the following week, but we'll see on that. I think that's it for now. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, lead us off in prayer, and then we'll get up Mia. Well, Lord, uh, it's just so great to get together to study your word to have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. So we just thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for gathering us here tonight. We pray, Lord, that you be here with us, your spirit be in our hearts, and just uh, helping us understand your word and apply it to our lives. Pray, God, for boldness and confidence for me and Lenny as they get up here and to teach and preach your word. So we uh, pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, Mia, come on up. So I realized that it's possible this is the first time I'm meeting. Maybe any of you? Maybe not. Never mind. That opener. Guess not. <laughs> but anyways, I'm Mia. I'm the new kid in this home church. I do have someone to sit with at lunch, thank God. Um, I came from Nitro like two months ago, so thank you for having me up here to teach. It's going to be really fun. Um, so we're going to start in Genesis 3, which I also want to thank God or whoever for giving me this passage to teach because it's really freaking epic and it's one of the most important Bible chapters in the Bible. And I say that, but I should explain it actually here. So we are in, we were in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says, God saw that all he had made was saw all he had made was good, and it was very good. And then Genesis 6, 5 through 6 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Ouch. So, like, <laughs> this is both in Genesis. <laughs> this happened, and then five chapters later, that happened. So, what on earth is going on in between that makes this? And that's Genesis 3, and that's why it's really important. It gives us the problem. The problem that got us from point A to point B. 
Um, and the rest of the entire Bible spends its time trying to redeem the problem that we see in Genesis 3. So that's why it matters, because it impacts all of the rest of the Bible and all of the scripture that we read. Um, so we start here in Genesis 3.1. Can I have somebody, like, be a reader for Genesis? Brenda, can you read that? Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. Yeah. So he's setting up this scene here, and I do want to point out this serpent character here. It's not a real snake. It's the devil. And that's an important, important point to make. Okay, because if it was an actual snake, that would make real snakes extremely more terrifying than they already are. Um <laughs> This is Satan. It's another word for Satan. Can somebody read this Revelation passage for me? The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Yeah. So we see time and time again, especially in the book of Revelation, Satan is referred to as a serpent. So this is the guy that we're talking about. It's not just another creature here in the garden. Satan, the devil, the evil one, you know that guy. Um, and Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, points out two descriptive things about the devil, about Satan, in this beginning of this very verse. One of them being that the Lord God had made the serpent, had made Satan. He is a created being. And that matters because it means that God is therefore more powerful and more strong and has more authority than Satan has and could possibly ever have because he is the one that created him. It's the only way that it makes sense. And there's a good summary on the creation of Satan here in Ezekiel 28, if somebody could read that for me. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, you covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was haughty because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I threw you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Mm-hmm. This is a good summary of the story of what happened between Satan and God. Essentially, God created Lucifer, this angel, who was super powerful, extremely intelligent, really good looking, all of these, you know, good qualities, right? And Satan looked at himself in the mirror and said, you know what? I am a hottie. I should be (laughs) worshipped as well. It's the only thing that makes sense, right? Um, And yeah, that's a dumbed down version of it. But essentially, he saw himself and was like, wow, I'm awesome. And he became really arrogant and really prideful and wanted to be worshipped and didn't want to give God the credit. God was the one that created him. God was the one that made him all that he is, but it didn't matter because he wanted the glory for for himself and he wanted to be like God, which is worshipped. And the second point here... Oh, is it not going to work? Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. Lord, take it away. I don't know what I did. Did I do something? 
I think you just oh, nope. There we are. So the second description about Satan here in this verse is that he was more cunning than any other animal in the field. And essentially it means he's super smart, really intelligent, strategic, wise, etc. And those are all like good things, you know, if you're not a really evil person. Uh, It's good to be, you know, wise and intelligent, but when you're super evil... It makes a recipe for disaster. That's what superhero hero villains are made out of. That's the recipe. You're really smart, you're really evil, and it's really bad. Um, so it makes this recipe for arguably the greatest tragedy that has ever happened to the universe. Um, so essentially, Satan, he has a strategy here. And that is how he accomplished this tragedy that we see in the universe. His strategy, all summed up, is that he lies. He's a big, big liar. He's always trying to convince us of untruths about God. He's always trying to convince us of untruths about ourselves, of untruths about our relationship between us and God. Everything he does is lie. He's really, really, really good at lying. That's why they call him the father of lies or the deceiver. Uh, And it's so effective because we know, many of us know, how the story ends. He has a strategy to lie, and it works. And it works over and over and over and over again. Which is why he uses the same strategy now to us. To alienate us from the Lord and to separate us from God. He still lies because it's effective. So he takes his first swing here in this attack, which is to question God. He approaches Eve, and this is the first part of his strategy in verse 3, 1. And he said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So I want you uh, to take note here. I don't think... Satan is genuinely asking for a question. Um, I don't think he's writing for the like Garden of Eden times trying to get the actual information from Eve. He, he's not looking for the 411 here. It's implied what he's really asking. Um, it's not about his actual words to her in this moment. What he's really applying, implying here, isn't God kind of restrictive? Isn't he, like, kind of overdramatic, strict? Isn't he kind of cruel to, like, put all of these trees and fruits in the garden that you're not even allowed to touch? Maybe think about that. That's the kind of questioning that's really happening here in this moment between him and Eve. And then, all of a sudden, Eve is able to flip the script and she decides that she is the one that's able to judge God instead of God being the judge. She's the one that gets to evaluate if she likes what God had to say or not. I'm the one that gets to decide if whatever God has to say to me is loving enough or good enough or it sounds lovely enough. I'm going to be the one to decide. I get to be the judge over what he says. And it sounds gross when I say it now, but I think that we all do this. 
very frequently. Um, like, isn't it not really that loving for God to send people to hell? Isn't it not really that loving for God to tell us to pray and then not answer our prayers when we really need him to? Isn't it not loving for God to tell us that in order to grow spiritually, we're supposed to suffer? That doesn't really sound like loving God, does it? Are these real questions or are they questions that you already have an answer to? That's what's happening right now in the Garden of Eden. How easy it is to become the judge over what God has to say, even though he's the one that wrote your moral compass that you think is better than him. So Eve responds in Genesis 3, 2 through 3. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Yeah. So at first we have this like glimmer of hope, right? Like she's going to correct the serpent. She's going to say, No, you're wrong. No. She kind of did, but then she added her own little lie in there, her own little misquote from God. She said that say, or that God told her not to even touch the tree, which is not something that God ever said. It never came out of his mouth. It's something that Eve just placed in there. Why would she do that? Why would she add more restrictions? She's making God seem to be more restrictive and more limiting than he actually is. She's making the boundary that God had set to be much wider than it actually was. Why? She didn't want to be limited at all. She didn't want to have any limitations. Do any of us, really? So now she's starting to resent the limitations that God has given and making God out to be this really strict dictator over all the fruits in the garden You know, he won't let me do anything. He won't even let me touch them. But that's not true. God isn't like that. You know, that's another thing that's very common today is to view God and view Christianity as more restrictive and limiting than it actually is, you know? Oh, you want to be a Christian? Have fun in your convent. Oh, you want to be a Christian? When's the last time you had fun? When's the last time you went to the bars? Oh, you want to be a Christian? When's the last time? I mean, you even had sex. Do you even do that anymore? Oh, you want to be a Christian? Have fun. I guess we can't be friends anymore since Christians aren't friends with non-Christians. We're setting up all of these, or society sets up all of these limitations that God apparently has made. None of them are true, but it's a lie that Satan loves for people to believe. Because of course you're not going to want to have a relationship with God if you think he's going to take away everything you enjoy and strip you from your identity and turn you into just a Jesus-following robot clone. Nobody wants to do that. Of course Satan wants you to believe that lie. You did. She fell for the temptation. And it all started with believing an untruth about who God was. So Satan moves on in his strategy here. He goes from questioning God's word to outright denying God's word. In Genesis 3, 4 through 5. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, 
For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Mm-hmm. So Satan says, you won't die, even though we know that God actually said, you're definitely going to die if you do this. It's a direct contradiction from what God said to what Satan says. And again, as an outside perspective, it's easy to be like, Eve, like, duh, he's outright lying. Like, this makes no sense. Why would you believe that? But see, Satan's strategy was already working at this point in the story. He had already gotten Eve to start questioning what God had said to start questioning God's character, to start questioning what he really meant by what he said. You know, he's, she's starting to resent maybe the things that God had said at this point. And so when this direct denying of God's word happens, when Satan calls God a liar, it doesn't seem that far-fetched because I already don't trust him and he's already not who I thought he was. So maybe he can be a liar too. That doesn't seem far-fetched at all. Yeah. And she believes it. Um, <clears throat> keeping hold of the truth that you know about God is really what this is all about. Had Eve gone to God and asked him, did you really say this? What did you mean? Because I don't know. And he would have told her the truth. Then she could have fought it off. But she decided to let go of all the things she knew about God, not go to him, not seek answers from him, but just believe her own judgments. And there she was, denying God's word, and she believed everything that was a lie. Um, Holding on to the truth is our only line of defense against Satan and his strategy here. It is not the only, because we obviously have God, but it's what he's given us as a line of defense in this situation. Um, Ephesians 6 is one of the most famous passages about uh, spiritual warfare and the lies that Satan tells us and how we can battle them. Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is how we stand against him. This is how we fight back. We fight back with truth. And I know that because the rest of this Ephesians 6 passage, it goes through this armor of God, right? A bunch of different things. Here they are. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of the gospel. Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. Sword of the word of God. And I highlighted three of them. Because you have to take note that three of these are scripture out of six. Literally half of them. Belt of truth, shoes of the gospel, sword of the word of God. Truth, truth, truth. Scripture, scripture, scripture. 50% of your armor is based in the word of God. It matters. It's important to have if you're going to start on this battle against Satan. And I'm not here to just tell you guys, like, you should read your Bible. (laughs) Like, we know that. Like, duh. It's not something new. We've all heard that many times. What I am trying to say is, Scripture is your lifeline. 
It is the only thing that you can keep in your mind to keep your head above water in a spiritual conflict against Satan. It's important because it's going to save your sanity and your walk with the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Um, and it truly, it has been a struggle for me as well. So again, I'm not saying read your Bible every day. That would be great. I'm not saying don't do that, but that's not the point. That's not the heart of it really. Um, like for me, becoming a mom was really hard. Shocker. (laughs) Woohoo. Um, I went through a like serious point where I'm like, maybe I'm just depressed. Maybe I should just like ditch. I don't know. Like, how am I going to function through this? And really at the end of the day, the lie that I was believing was that God said motherhood is a punishment for you. I'm going to make you into a mom so that you can see what a selfish, horrible woman you are. Here you go. Aren't you awful? If I wasn't really selfish, then motherhood would be easy. If I was a better Christian, then this wouldn't be difficult. But it is, so God's punishing me. And truly, I believe that to my core. It was like, it was really, really difficult. I had some dark days for sure. But I came across this passage a little bit into my journey. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or see in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, amen. (laughs) And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized in that moment, like, God wants me to have peace. And he wants me to have peace and be with me so much so that he literally told me how in the very same verse. This is how you can do it. And I've given you all of these lovely and pure and wonderful things. Like your son. Sorry. (laughs) Because he's so cute. (laughs) Your son and your family and your ministry and all these things. And he wanted me to have peace. And I did in that moment. Because I kept that scripture on a little piece of notebook paper above my sink in my kitchen. And I look at it every single time I clean a bottle <laughs> because I'm like, another one that was rolled under the couch that smells horrible. Yeah. Uh, again, it's the worst. Those couch bottles. Oh, um, anyway, that was the lie that Satan had me believing about God was that he was a punisher and he didn't want peace for me. But that was a lie. And I was able to fight it literally because of this. And that's it. There is a lie that Satan wants you to believe about God. I don't care who you are. There is a lie. I don't know what it is, but you probably do. Take a piece of scripture and battle it because that is your life. You're fine. And Eleni is going to talk about the third part of this strategy that Satan is going to talk about. All right. Um, 
knock that over. 100% was going to happen. All right. So like Mia said, I get the opportunity to talk about the third part of Satan's strategy. So Satan questions God, God's word. He denies God's word. But then he can't just sit there and be like, okay, I'm done. Like, he's not just going to throw mud in God's face and be like, all right, dude, good luck. He's not like that. He's like, no, 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 I've got an alternative for you, Eve. <clears throat> all of us. got an alternative plan. Don't worry about it. i got it taken care of. So, can someone read my... Brenda, can you continue reading Genesis for me? Yeah. Can you read Genesis verses 5 and 6? 3 verses 5 and 6. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. It was with her. All right. That's going to be important for next week. So I'm not going to touch on it tonight. But she ate it. Right? So God, or Satan has this alternative plan. He's like, I got an alternative for you. Don't you worry about it. And it turns out that his alternative is actually the world system. It's his system. It's what we live in today. And we learn more about it in 1 John. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this is the exact same thing that Eve dealt with. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what she was in contest with. She saw that the tree was good for food. She saw. She's like, hey, it's a good tree. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. It's this amazing, beautiful tree. It's got awesome fruit on it. Wow. She also saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She's like, man, I could be pretty smart, pretty wise if I eat that tree, that fruit from that tree. So this is exactly what Satan does to us today. The first thing he does is he sits there and he pulls out the desires of the flesh. All right. So this is just a way of saying it's something that's going to satisfy our need for pleasure. All right? The lust of the flesh is what some versions say. And so it's something that's going to make us feel really good. And so when we look around today, we see it all over the place. We see sex, pornography. If you look in the news, um, I don't know how many of you are on uh, TikTok. I am. Um, you probably shouldn't be. But poor Adam Levine. Not really poor Adam Levine. More like poor his wife and kids. Because it turns out that the lead singer of Maroon 5, Adam Levine, has been having an affair with not just one woman, but many. And one of his mistresses came out on TikTok and said, hey, here's all of the, all of the exchanges between Adam Levine and myself. And by the way, his wife is pregnant and she want, he wants to name their child after me. Oh! And here's the evidence of that. You hate to see it. Ooh. <laughs> so you see it all over the place. But it's not just sex. All right? It's food. Sometimes overeating. It's drugs. It's alcohol. Anything in this world that's going to make us feel good. Satan's going to use and say, hey, this, this will complete you. It's going to feel great. It's a lot of temptation. Right? He goes on and does the desires of the eyes. 
The lust of the eyes is what some other translations say. And this is like this idea that if I could just have just a little more, then I'd be good. If I could just have like, like a little bit more money, then I would be so happy and satisfied. If I could just have like a better job, my, my job really sucks. So if I just could get like a better job, then I'd be happy. If I could just like have a nicer car, one that would tow more, perfect. If I could just lose a little bit more weight, then I'd be really satisfied. If I could just be a little bit more fit in my arms, my biceps could be 18 inches in diameter, I'd be happy. Who would say something like that? If I could just buy, for me, I mean, someone, if someone just wants to buy a $200 pair of boots because they're really cute and it's fall and they're, they look really comfortable, then, I, then they might be really happy. That one's not me. That one's me. Um, oh, I really want them. But they're not really going to make me happy. But that's what I sometimes believe. I'm like, oh, I've had a really stressful last week and a half. All right? If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it after. But really stressful. And I caught myself looking at this pair of boots, like, over and over and over again. Just being like, man, if I could just buy this pair of boots, I'd feel better. Turns out, it's probably not the case. But that's what Satan does. He makes it seem like it's a good idea. All right? And then he goes... He also pulls out the pride of life. Some other versions say the boastful pride of life. And this is this idea that if I just had a little bit more power, if I just had a little bit more control over a situation, things would be really great. If people just listened to what I said, we'd be good to go. (laughs) Problems solved. No big deal. If I could just have everybody tell me how great I am all the time, Life would be great if they just worshipped everything I said. They just listened to everything I said. And these alternatives seem really good. They seem like they make you feel very good. And they seem like they would give you some sort of fulfillment. Just temporary. But it's just temporary. Because God's proposal, like this idea that you've been promised this feast, right? You sit down, there's this beautiful rack of lamb in front of you. All right, and there's all of the different kinds of sides you could possibly imagine. There's veggies, there's mashed potatoes, there's asparagus, there's broccoli and carrots. Because everyone knows that the best part of Thanksgiving is the sides. All right, so there's like sides of plenty all around you. You've got yummy drinks, you've got wine, you've got pretty blue tropical yummy drinks. All right, you've got Diet Coke definitely there. It's an amazing meal. And to top it all off, at the end of this meal, you get a giant ice cream cake. (laughs) Best meal ever. This feast. This is what you're promised, right? So you sit down at this feast, and you're so ready to partake in this amazing feast that you were promised. And they put in front of you a bottle of Slim And and then they put next to it a can of Soylent Green. What? It's people. It's people. (laughs) What? All right? And it's like, you're sitting there like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. Because it's a substitution. It's a food substitute. There's no actual nutritional value in it. There's no nutritional value in what Satan has to offer, his alternative. In fact, it just makes you crave more and more and more because you're never satisfied. And the thing is, it's because Satan promotes feelings over facts. 
He promotes the fact that, like, we might, I feel really far away from God. I've definitely said that. Like, right now, I feel really far away from God. But that's not what the truth is. The truth is that God is always right there. He's just waiting for you to turn to him and talk to him. You know, it might be, oh, like Mia was saying, he, he's restricting. He doesn't want me to enjoy anything. That's definitely not true. He wants to give life and give it abundantly. And so, like Mia was saying, we need a solid foundation in the word of God in order to combat these things that Satan likes to pull, that tempts us with. Because Eve was taken in, and she believed Satan's lie. Because Eve wanted to be like God. But the funny thing is, she was already like God. Can you read Genesis 1 for me, Brenda? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We're human beings. We're the only creation that was created to be like God. We were made in his image. Male and female, he created us. We are already like him. But Eve really just wanted something more. She had this autonomous search for wisdom. You know, and she started questioning, is it really a bad thing to know good and evil like God? Is it really a bad thing? What's so bad about a tree? Trees are pretty. It's one of the selling points for my house. We like saw it in the fall and I was like, whoa, it's so beautiful. There's all these beautiful orange leaves everywhere. If you ask Justin, he's like, this is the worst thing in the world now. Because it's happened. It's the first day of fall. You know what that means? Raking so many leaves. Justin got this fancy new blower thing that goes on his back. He's very excited about it, but he's going to be doing it two times a week. But anyways... Comes back to what's so bad about this tree? Because in reality, God gave Adam and Eve a choice, gave them an option. You know, it's like He said, you, "We're going into His house." We're like, "Hey, He's like, hey, you can have anything in the pantry, anything in the fridge, anything in any of the cupboards, anything in the freezer to eat, anything that you want." Except, just so you know, there's this bottle underneath the sink, and it's marked bleach. Don't drink that because you'll die. Don't do it. He's saying, like, if you do this one thing, it's going to hurt you, and I don't want you to be hurt, so please don't do it. Unfortunately, Eve chose to do the thing that was going to hurt her. And I get it. I'm definitely that person. Like, if someone says, don't touch the red button, like, that's all I can think about is, like, how much I want to touch that red button. Um, I know I've probably talked, told you, some of you this story before, but uh, a few years ago, Justin and I, my husband, we went to the Cleveland Museum of Art. You should not be allowed in museums that you're not allowed to touch things because that's all I wanted to do. There's like these beautiful paintings and these beautiful pieces of pottery and these really cool like suits of armor and there's cannons and there's signs everywhere that says don't touch it. There's like glass and there's like ropes and you're not supposed to touch it. So of course I spent the entire few hours we were there touching things because that's what you do. You just touch it real fast. If it was a freaking painting in my house, I'm not going to want to touch it. But if it's like there and they're saying, don't touch it, that's all I want to do. And so spent a couple of hours there touching everything and wasn't caught, was just walking through. And if you ask Justin, he'll say it different. But there was this cannon. Justin says there was a rope in front of it, but I don't remember this rope. <laughs> but there was a big cannon. And there was just something about this cannon that I wanted to touch. 
Okay. I don't know why. It was just a big cannon. And I walk by it, and I touch it, and then this very angry, very Russian, very old man comes running at me, yelling at me. And it turns out that he worked for the museum. And he said that if I touched anything else, that I would be kicked out of the museum and wouldn't be welcomed back because I touched a cannon that had been around for a very long time and probably wasn't going to disintegrate from my one fingerprint. But big trouble, right? So I get it. The one thing that we're told not to do, Eve did. And I get it because honestly, if I was there, I probably would have wanted to do the same exact thing. I get that temptation. But what was so bad about this tree is that it did lead to death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't, it led to Adam and Eve not depending on God anymore. They didn't need to go to him and say, is this a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? Is this right or is this wrong? There wasn't that dependency, that part of that relationship, that trust anymore. Adam and Eve became completely autonomous. They thought that they didn't need God anymore. And this ultimately brought about their death. And it wasn't a physical death, as we'll see next week. It was a spiritual death. It was alienation from God. It broke that relationship. And now we all feel that consequence. You know, and while I was studying this, I'm like, well, what if God had just told Adam and Eve what had happened? Like, death is kind of vague, I guess. So, like, what if he had said, hey... If you eat from this tree, what's going to happen is that everything is going to be awful. There's going to be nothing but misery and suffering for the rest of human existence. Don't eat it. Then Adam and Eve probably would have been like, oh, yeah, definitely not going to touch, do that. Like, not going to eat that tree from that tree. Definitely not going to do that. But the thing is, God didn't, because if he had done that, yeah, Adam and Eve probably wouldn't have done it, but it would have been, wouldn't have been out of trust of God when he said, hey, this is a bad idea. It would have been like weighing those costs and the expense of it. It would have been, all right, well, I guess I want to have some kind of control still, so I'm not going to do that. They would still be in the driver's seat. And that's what they wanted. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to trust him. He, he wants us to be able to say, okay, I believe you when you say that this is bad for me and I trust you enough that to obey you when you say it's bad. Because God wants to provide us life. Could someone read John 3.36 for me? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So God wants to provide us this life through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news, is that it didn't just end there in the garden. That he gave us another opportunity through Christ, his son. Like Mia said, everything the rest of the Bible comes out of trying to remedy what happened here. Because there was another tree in the garden, the tree of life. Um, as we see in chapter 2, it says that the tree of life was also there, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so life with God and depending on him, it's not freedom from something, but it's freedom to do something. It's freedom to rely on God. It's freedom to trust him and to experience real, meaningful significance in relationships. 
Freedom from God brings about death. And it means a life without significance. It means a life without real relationships and meaning behind it. And so my question for you guys today is, what death are you experiencing? Because we know from Romans here, um, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So this mind that is set on ourselves, set on the flesh, what we want, what feels good for me, that brings about death. So being autonomous from God doesn't bring about freedom. It brings about death. You know, and I've definitely experienced this in my life. There have been a lot of times where I'm just tired, right? I'm just like, man, I have a two-year-old. She's exhausting and a lot of fun, but exhausting. I just don't feel like going to home church or Bible study or hanging out with people or going to CT. Like, I'm just tired. I just want to stay home and watch the new Lord of the Rings. That's really all I want to do with my time. Or maybe for you guys, it might be, I just want to stay home and play video games. Or I just want to stay home and say, F it, you know. It's pay. All the deacons and all the elders are out of town. Pagan weekend. That was something we did when I was in college. You know, F it. Don't do whatever. But I don't know about you. What I experience is I feel worse than before. I feel more exhausted. I feel less rested. I feel less able to go out and do anything after that, those kind of experiences. And that's the thing, is that God wants, us to, wants to free us from ourselves. And our flesh must die so that we can truly experience the life that God has to offer. Now, there's a really, the cool fact is that there's another really important truth in the Bible. Um, Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ died on a cross. He hung on that, or he was crucified on that cross for us, for our sins, so that we can have a relationship with him and experience real freedom. We're the problem, and we can't fix ourselves, but God can. So the question is, why keep experiencing death when we're told Jesus literally says that the thief, a.k.a. Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy? I come. Jesus comes so that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is what Christ wants to do for us. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, why not decide to experience abundant life that Christ has to offer? Experience that death to yourself. And life in him. Why not do it? And if you do have a relationship with Christ already, are you experiencing this life that Christ is offering? Are you experiencing this freedom that he promises us? And if you're not, what's holding you back? Think about it. What are the lies that you might be believing and struggling with? So that's all me and I had for you guys tonight. Any questions? Hi. Hi. It took me a second. I was like, I hear your voice. Can I point something else out too? Yeah. Um, God never actually told Eve not to eat from the trees. Hmm. He told Adam. That's true. And Adam was supposed to take care of Eve. Yeah, because Eve wasn't around then. That is correct. He made Eve after that. Mm -hmm. However... 
she not only didn't ask Adam or God, yeah. she took it upon herself to eat the food. Yep. But she offered it to her husband naked. That's true. <laughs> so having said that, having said it, Carrie and I were in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's so don't, don't say that. <laughs> we were walking the trails and uh-huh. just having a really good time. Yeah. Naked? There's, no, not naked. <laughs> There's a phallic box that we came across. Okay. An old Okay. So there was um, fruit on this phallic rock. Okay. So. Carrie took it upon herself to take a banana from it and start eating it. Mm-hmm. And she gave it to me. Okay. And as soon as I did, I went, holy shit, I'm Adam. <laughs> yeah? It was that fast and that guy. Yeah? Just to realize I am just like in the beginning. Yeah? Boom. Sin. Sin. But it's true. I mean, like... <laughs> it would be really fast and really easy to just say, okay, sure, I'll take that from you and I'll eat that and not think about it. And the fact that Adam was right there, I think is going to be talked about more next week because Adam was standing right next to Eve when she was having this whole exchange. Uh, just chilling and not necessarily, he didn't say anything. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, so I think next week we're going to get more into that and the consequences of this decision in the fall. Um, but thank you for your phallic rock story. <laughs> I think it was more fun for me watching Carrie's faces right now. <laughs> I didn't know quite where I was going. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to comment on that. But I love that you ended on this verse, and I loved your point, um, Mia, where you talked about the woman said to the serpent, at first she said, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. God is like an amazing provider. Uh-huh. And he, he died so that he could overly abundantly provide for his children. Right. That's what a good father does. Uh-huh. But I see even in myself, like it's that discontent. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I've got all the things that I need and lots of stuff that I want. But, ooh. There's that $200 pair of boots, right? Oh, right? There's a $200 pair of boots that just call my name. It's just, it's very telling to our human heart. Yeah. We just want to focus on that one little. Right. Like, if I just had, like, it would just be perfect if it was just this one thing. Mm -hmm. But there's always one more. Right. Always one more. Always one more. And I love that you bring up that he is such a a kind and abundantly giving father. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... I didn't get a chance to talk about it in my teaching, but the idea that he even gives us a choice. He is all powerful. He created us. He created everything. And yet he still gave us a choice to give us the choice to have that relationship. And he gives us a choice today if we want to have that relationship. And that is so merciful because he could have just said, "Mm, screw all you. I'm done now. Wiping my hands at you. But he doesn't. And even though we screw up and even though we're sinners, he's like, I love you. I'm going to continue to pursue you because I love you. I'm going to continue to give you options. I'm going to continue to give you a choice. Mm-hmm. I love you. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. So thank you.
think that um, you both did a really good job on that point. Um, you were talking to me about like being a Christian means you can't have fun anymore, and you can't have it, and then Lenny, you called it bleach under the sink, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. It's like, because I think people have this idea that God's restrictions are the things that he doesn't want us to do, or just him being mean, he didn't want to restrict us, but it's really because he loves us. Yeah. He knows what's best. He knows what's going to hurt us. It's yeah. bleach. Exactly. Don't drink it. It's bleach. It's, don't drink it. You're going to die. You're going to get hurt. You can still touch it. You can still touch it. It's very true. It's really weird being a mom and having like seeing that and being like, yeah, I'm going to like, like today, Sophie, Sophie just wants to do all the crazy stuff because she's a two-year-old. And she's like, we're going out and she wants to go on a walk in the rain, which is fine. But she's like, doesn't want to wear shoes. She doesn't want to wear a jacket. She doesn't want, and I'm like, there is stuff all over this ground. We live by a college. Like, you got to wear shoes. You got to wear a jacket. Come on. We got to keep you safe, you know? And that's all God wants to do. He wants us to, to have a good life, to live it abundantly, to give us real freedom, just to obey him, which is really cool. So I've been studying uh, heaven and teaching tomorrow to a bunch of fourth and fifth graders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very interesting because, uh, you know, you're talking about the garden. They're in the garden here. They're eating the, the wrong tree. But there is a tree of life there. Mm-hmm. So kind of, I guess I should do this next week because that's kind of the results of that decision. Yeah. Where the garden is now ruined and the whole earth is ruined, kind of like you guys are saying. Uh, but in Revelation 22, because heaven is actually going to be on earth, yeah. which is going to be cool. And so... It's Eden restored. Mm-hmm. It's how God intended it, but he made it better. There's going to be a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the land, down the middle of a great street of a city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, and so there's two trees of life, bearing 12 different kinds of fruit, and it yields its fruit every month. Mm-hmm. It's just like, like, kind of like you were saying, Carrie, like God just wants to provide and keep providing for in abundant ways. Like, that's abundant life. There was one tree of life in the original Garden of Eden, and God is going to make it like twice as good. Mm-hmm. There's two trees, and it's got like bananas and mangoes, like 12 different kinds of fruit yeah. all the time, every month. Mm-hmm. We're free to eat it however much we want, and whenever we want. Um, so I just thought that was like we're, like you're saying, it's God is answering a problem that mm-hmm. we're up here. And he answered in such a big way, and what he, what he has prepared for us is uh, so great. Yeah. So yeah. And it's just really beautiful that we get that, we get to experience that even though this happened and that we're still yeah. sinners and like, it's really beautiful. That's something like, so we've been reading um, the Jesus Storybook Bible with Sophia and it talks about the fall and it's really beautifully done and written and the art and it's really cool, but the way that it does it and it says, and that would be the end. And then you have to turn, like, a page or two. And then it says, like, if that were just the end of the story. But it's not because God brought Christ. Because Christ. Because God loves us. And it's just really beautiful to see that. And that we get to, because of what Christ chose to do, because he chose to die for our sins, even though we don't deserve it, we get to have that abundant life. We get to be in heaven with him someday and experience that, that fruit. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Maybe not dumb, but like, Mina, like in the beginning when you were bringing up like the 
deep talk to the servant. You kind of said like it's not just talking about a snake, obviously, but was Satan disguised as a snake there? What did the theologians kind of say when you were studying this? Like, you know, did it clear up? there's a lot of things. Yeah, really, you actually can't fully know that yeah. he even was a physical serpent, or if that's just a word that we used mm-hmm. that was used for him. It's not actually that clear. I wish I had a better answer for you. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Like, we're going through them. But, like, did she see Satan as a snake? Or, like, how do we show Yeah, her? I don't know. I don't know we also know that, like, in heaven, that there was, like, not really this... So here on earth, we have, like, a, there's a very clear distinction between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case in heaven. And so she wasn't, like, shocked and running away that a, a snake all of a sudden started talking to her, you know? And so we don't know if, like, maybe Satan possessed this snake. We don't know. But, like, everything that, I don't know, when we're, like, listening to stuff and reading things, like, it does make the distinction that, that in heaven there's a, there is a very real spiritual war going on today, but we don't get to see it. We don't get to be a part of it. We are not, like, physically seeing it happen around us but it was very different in heaven and so maybe he possessed the snake we don't know god used a bush a burning bush it's true (laughs) so it's possible yeah 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 Yeah. all right does anyone want to pray for us and then we can go watch the steelers beat the browns Let's pray. Father, uh, just thank you so much for getting us together today. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that um, I just thank you that you chose to rescue us, even though we we (laughs) don't deserve it, Lord, and that you love us so much that um, you want a relationship and that you continue to pursue us, Father. And thank you for equipping us to be able to fight this spiritual battle, that we don't have to just kind of give up and be like, oh, well, I guess this is how everything is, but that we get the opportunity to stand firm in your truth and I thank you that in this day and age, we even get to know what truth really is um, and to really take stock in it and stand firmly in it, Lord. And so I just pray as we go forward um, over the next few weeks that we could just be standing firm in your truth and really take that lifeline like Mia was talking about and, uh, and take that seriously in our own lives. Amen. Go watch the Steelers beat the Browns. Whoa, you said it again. I did, and I put it on Facebook.